What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Delano Sapporu, founder of New Street Advisors. Tonight on Fast, we're all over the after-hours action shares of Tesla and NXPI. Both stocks on the move on earnings are breaking down their quarters straight ahead. Plus, time is ticking on a correction. That's the warning tonight from Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, why he's calling for a big pullback and when he sees it happening. And later, the big rumor that sent Amazon shares rallying today. We'll take a trip to the options pits to find out what's really going on with the stock. We start off with an earnings alert on Tesla. Shares on the move after the beat on the top and the bottom lines. Phil LeBeau's got all the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, this was a substantial beat on the bottom line with Tesla earning 93 cents a share versus the estimate on the street of earning 79 cents a share. Top line coming in better than expected at 10.39 billion versus the estimate of 10.29 billion. Let's look at the numbers behind the numbers. In other words, as you look at the first quarter, what are some of the key metrics people will be focused on? Automotive gross margin is going to get a lot of attention coming in at 26.5%, nearly 100 basis points better uh, than expected. Free cash flow, 293 million. CapEx, and this has to do with the gigafactories that are being built in Germany and Texas coming in at $1.35 billion. But the number that everybody wanted, but they didn't get, at least in the earnings report, maybe that'll change during the conference call, deliveries this year, no new guidance from Tesla. Remember, they've said they will increase annually by 50%, some years a little bit more than 50%, some years a little less. By the way, the street estimate is for 799,000 vehicles to be delivered this year. As you take a look at shares of Tesla year to date, remember the conference call starts 29 minutes from now, and we'll see if Elon Musk has anything to say both in terms of the guidance as well as some of the other key topics that people will be focused on. Certainly the gigafactories in Texas and uh, Berlin, they're scheduled to be open, Melissa, later this year. That was in the earnings report. Mm -hmm. Do they give us any more color during the conference call? We'll be on it. We'll have more in the back half of the show. All right. We'll check in with you a little bit later, Phil. Thanks, Phil LeBeau. We did see Tesla shares down about 3% initially on the back of this earnings release, now down about 2%. Guy, what'd you make of this quarter? Well, I'm not great at prognosticating, as you know, Mel, but I will tell you the first question he will get categorically is, why did you make the decision to sell 10% of your Bitcoin holdings? By the way, I say good for him. Uh, They've done very well with that. They still have 90% of their holdings, and they had a huge profit in that. That will be the first question, whether that's justified or not. Next question should be about zero emission vehicles. Uh, You know, the ZEV credits, when do they run out? Because obviously a big kick to their revenue number was that as well. I think it's actually... A good quarter. I mean, I know the naysayers are going to at me on Twitter and the people that love it are going to say you weren't uh, enthusiastic enough. What I'll tell you is this 720 level is spot on 50 percent correction of the March 5th low of 540 or so and the recent all time high of 900. So it gives you something to trade around. My, my instinct is short of some tape bomb on this conference call that stock goes higher. Um, you mentioned the credits, and, and Phil was mentioning the automotive gross margins, but if you take a look at the back of the report, automotive gross margin, excluding regulatory credits, was 22%, and that was an improvement year-on-year year as well as sequentially. So for anybody who's saying it's those credits that are helping them, 
Sure, they're helping them, but they're also improving uh, margins without those credits. Delano, you're a shareholder of Tesla. So what did you make of this quarter? Well, so I thought it was good. Um, I thought um, what we really wanted to see was the delivery number. I think that's why we're trading off a little bit after hours. Um, I hope we get more color on that. But for a top-down approach, what you want to look at with Tesla is you have a couple of backdrops that are really positive for the company. Obviously, on the political front, they've done a great job when you're looking at overseas, making their, entrenching themselves overseas, which is also something that's really, really important when you think about the electric vehicle ecosystem in general, right? So the U.S. is about 3%. Um, of, of electric vehicle uh, is auto, electric vehicle and automaker uh, overall, and you're looking at you know China at about five percent, and the average globally globally about four percent. So you know that's going to be a big backdrop that I think is important. I want some more color on that in the earnings call, but I think generally you look at the numbers. Tesla does a great job of usually beating or meeting or, or beating expectations when it comes to delivery. So I'm definitely interested to see, you know, what management has to say on the full year guidance. But overall, I think it was a great quarter. Yeah, it does feel very much like a stock in a holding pattern right now in the after hour session. A down 2% move, Karen, is, is, is basically flat for Tesla. What did you make yeah, of the quarter? For, for Tesla, that's flatlining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought the quarter the quarter was pretty good, right? Impressive. Uh, I did notice China ASPs down a little bit, so there's some pressure there. But it also talked about in some of the the text of it, you know, expecting the Y to become the best selling car in the world. I don't know when when that would be. Um, you know, I don't own it. It's just on evaluation. I never got there, but the story is very much intact. To me, this is an interesting sort of uh, proxy for what's going to happen to companies that report great quarters, but whose stock has already run up, right? Or I think we're going to see that over and over and over again. So um, there wasn't really anything not to like in the quarter, particularly if you're if you're a bull. I don't think there was anything super dramatic if you're a bear. So this two, you know, down 13, 14 points maybe a little bit more now, is really flatlining for them. We'll see. I also want to know what, what made him agree to go on Saturday Night Live, just maybe that it was fun. So maybe that's the third question after the Bitcoin. <laughs> I hope the Bitcoin really, though, is sort of a sideshow. That can't be a recurring, you know, a recurring revenue expectation. Um, so that, that's kind of a sideshow. But good, time, good trading for them, you know. They, had, they bought it, what, I don't know, sometime early in the first quarter. So... Um, it was a good quarter, but it's just not for me. Too expensive. Yeah. Dan, you think they talk about a, a semiconductor shortage? I mean, what's, what's striking about Tesla is that they've been able to deliver all the cars they promised and then some despite a global chip shortage that actually hurt its competitors. Yeah, I, I think it's an easy mulligan. It, it, no matter what the end market is, if you're feeling a chip shortage, just like we're hearing all the talk about inflation, you might as well say it because the S&P 500 is at an all-time high here. You know, in Tesla in particular, like Guy said, the range is 900 on the upside a couple months ago. It was as low as 525 maybe uh, also a month or so ago. Um, so here we are in the midpoint of that range. I think it's important to also remember back in November, mid-November, when S&P announced it was going into the S&P 500, um, the stock was at $400 and literally felt like it was going to just crater at that point. So you have a good quarter here. I don't think there's much to shake at it. I think I see a headline saying that they should achieve 50% um, annual um, delivery growth this year. If that's what people are looking for, fine, they did that. I just don't know what the catalyst is right now to take it back up towards those highs with 50% of the global auto market cap 
in this name here. So to me, the competition's coming. They all have these um, chip shortage issues here. Um, I'm just not sure what takes Tesla up here. It's not going to be short interest. That's at about 6% or so right now. All right, let's get more reaction to this quarter. Bring in Fast Money Friend, Loop Ventures founder, Gene Munster. Gene, great to have you with us. What's your number one headline here? Well, you need to take the quarter into context. Tesla reports its quarter, as all automakers do, with two releases. One is the delivery number, and second, the earnings that we got tonight. The earnings tonight were essentially in line. We saw a bounce back with the important auto gross margins, but for the most part, as expected, which uh, brings me back to, I think, what the real takeaway here is, what happened a few weeks ago around the delivery numbers. Those were up 109% year over year. It was up 66% in December, 44% in September. Uh, This is accelerating delivery growth off of higher numbers, which by definition is a growth story. These are very rare that they happen, and therefore we have what Karen is talking about, which is high valuation. But I just want to anchor the view of this quarter in context of those delivery numbers, because If it is true that the EVs are the future and they're 3% today and Tesla has what I believe is the most compelling value proposition, if all that's true, I have a feeling we're going to be having deja vu this year around quarters where the stock, uh, the delivery numbers continue to be impressive. And I think that uh, eventually uh, the company will more than, uh, I think, exceed that 50% target for 2020 deliveries. Do you think that uh, tonight management comes out and says that they're going to exceed that 50 percent number only because it looks like consensus is looking for a lot more than that at this point? So even if they say 50, that may not be good enough. They'll likely say 50. That's kind of uh, they didn't say anything last quarter, the quarter Mm -hmm. before they did. So sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't say anything. But assuming they did, uh, you know, and they reiterate that 50 percent to your your point, uh, Melissa, is that I don't think that that would be viewed as a necessarily negative. I don't think that they would inch up the bar. I think Elon is slowly learning the virtues of being a uh, a, C- a public CEO of keeping expectations low and and trying to beat them. It's not in everything that he says. But to answer your question, I don't expect them to uh, inch higher than 50. But the street now for the uh, the June quarter is looking for deliveries up 70 percent. And uh, of course we have this pretty easy comp coming in uh, the June quarter. And so uh, putting it all together, I think that uh, despite any sort of commentary from the company, I think investors are going to leave the call optimistic that we're still early in this transformation. Gene, how important is China in this equation? Karen mentioned the ESPs in China being somewhat little soft. I don't think that's big a deal. But can, can the Chinese effectively pick a winner and loser in this space if they, let's just say, start to favor a NEO, for example? I mean, is, is, that a, is that something to be concerned about? I think long term, we should just uh, assume that China is going to be led by Chinese makers. And uh, to answer your, your question is, how important is China? China is important. It's really important for the story over the next few years. It's less important over the five year if you have the advantage of owning something for the, for the next five years. Just a quick uh, recap of why it's important over the next few years. It's about 35% of total global EVs are sold in China. And so it's a big opportunity. Eventually, um, it just is going to get difficult. All my years of covering uh, U.S. companies who are trying to do business in China, eventually it gets difficult. And so I would just look at this as kind of a, a few year tailwind to ultimately uh, a global opportunity for Tesla. All right, Gene, 
Thanks so much. We'll check back in with you when uh, Tesla's call gets underway. That happens in about 20 minutes from now. <clears throat> Shares a lift on the move in the after-hour session. The company making a big announcement on its autonomous driving unit. Deidre Bosa has got the details. Debo. Melissa, Lyft has agreed to sell its autonomous driving unit to Toyota for $550 million. This is a move that will help it save $100 million in operating expenses and reach adjusted EBITDA profitability by the third quarter of this year. Now, keep in mind, Uber has also told investors that it would reach that measure of profitability this year, but has not specified when. Also, keep in mind, the larger ride-sharing company also sold its own self-driving unit to Aurora last year at a $10 billion valuation. Now, for both of these companies, Uber and Lyft, autonomous driving was always this long-term play, a way to leverage their networks and ultimately reduce one of their biggest costs, that being drivers. However, as the pandemic hit bookings over the last year, both companies cut expenses significantly refocused on their core. Now, as the economy reopens, ride-sharing recovers. The new problem is supply, getting enough drivers on the road, and that has proved costly as well. So by shedding their own efforts in autonomous driving, both these companies are saving costs. And from a broader perspective, we are seeing this shift in the landscape, partnerships being formed between the networks and the technology companies versus each of them going their own way. Lyft and Toyota, Uber and Aurora. One final thing to note, Melissa, Lyft also has a partnership with Waymo, which is seen by many in the industry as leading the field in terms of tech and a company that could potentially have its own network up and running quite quickly. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Rosa, it does seem a lot more efficient to partner as opposed to build yourself. Dan, what do you think of this move? Yeah, I agree. I, I think this was fairly well telegraphed, and I think that Waymo um, deal was probably the future for autonomy um, for Lyft. And I'll tell you one thing, if Waymo gets it right, Waymo could be a bigger company than Lyft in the not-so-distant future, so the tables might be a little bit turned here. So I, I like the focus on profitability. I know... Um, you know, it, it seems to be one of those things that was holding the stocks back in the year or so after their IPOs. But when you look at the performance off of the lows, I think this is obviously a big reopening trade. Um, and, you know, it's kind of come a little too far too fast. I'm not sure they had to sell it for this. They might have been able to get a, a bit more if they had waited. I know the understanding about getting to that profitability just seems to be something that they needed to do. But I don't know. I mean, future is going to be autonomy for these companies. Yeah. So how they get there. Now they have to partner. I mean, right now it makes a lot of sense. In a few years, will they wish they had been more heavily invested in this way back when? Because as Dan had mentioned, you know, Waymo could very well be the head-to-head competitor with a Lyft or an Uber, or it could be Tesla for that matter, with a fleet of robo-taxis. Delano, is this short-sighted? Well, uh, no, no, I would agree with Dan here. I think this is a smart move. Um, you know, I've actually been out of any of the ride-sharing, you know, companies. Uh, I've looking at it from a from a year back, it looks or from IPO, it looks smart. Uh, they're down about 20% lifted. Uh, but if you're looking at it from the year, year time frame, as Dan mentioned, the reopening trade, it's up, you know, pretty handedly there. But I think, you know, the biggest thing, these, are, these companies are really price sensitive, margins, you know, profitability, the bottom line. And this is something that has to be really played to uh, when you think about it as an investor standpoint. So that's the reason why I stayed out. I think it's an area where it's super competitive, as mentioned. And, you know, that lends to uh, possibly price wars when you're talking about, you know, getting the drivers out onto the road and just the, 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 the pie is split in many, many different ways that for investors, you want to really watch those numbers. And so for that reason, I've kind of been sitting on the sidelines when it, when it came to Lyft. All right, coming up, we're counting down to Tesla's conference call kicks off in just moments. We will be on it. We'll tell you what Elon Musk is saying about the quarter. But first, we've got another learning, earnings alert for you. NXP Semi on the move after its report. We'll break down the after hours action in that name. Plus, check out the move 
in shares of GameStop. The stock is rallying after market. We'll tell you why. Stay with us. Much more Fast Money in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of GameStop rallying after hours. The company is saying it had completed the secondary stock sale it announced earlier this month. The offering maxed out with all three and a half million shares sold. The stock is uh, up 16 percent right now, Karen, on this news. What do you think? <laughs> well, so they announced this at the money offering. Um, so they do it in the market sort of whenever they want. And they came out with the shocking news that they completed the offering, which apparently was worth quite a bit of money as, a, as an event. That's astounding to me. So they sold it at $157 a share-ish, give or take. Good for them for raising the money. I really, I don't, I don't get it. I clearly don't get it. I don't understand why this is uh, such positive news. They did what they said they were going to do. Okay. Well, that's good news in and of, I mean, that proves execution. That is. Um, commitment to a plan, Guy. Um, and I guess the next question, though, for GameStop uh, investors who are in for the fundamentals, and I'm sure there are many out there who are, like a roaring kitty, uh, the next step is to see what Ryan Cohen's got up his sleeve when he takes over as chairman in June. Which is a lot, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. I know you remember because you remember everything. I used the comparison of the New York Cosmos from back in the 70s, oh, a team that was just that. basically <laughs> unsuccessfully, clearly. But remember I said they were bringing in people from all over the world, the best in their fields. It, for the Cosmos, it was the best of their positions. And they wound up having a six- or seven-year run. That's what's going on at GameStop. And I don't pretend to necessarily understand what they're going to do, but the price action doesn't lie. And it feels like it wants to continue higher from these levels. So good for the Reddit crowd, that WSB crowd, and Roaring Kitty, as you mentioned earlier. Delano, your thoughts? I would agree with the crew here. Um, they, they are bringing in. It sounds like you know management is listening uh, to to sounds like actually the the, the message boards and they're actually taking account uh, the strategy that's going on through the message boards. But you know it makes sense with bringing on an expert in Ryan Cohen taking over as chairman and, and someone that's done a great job when it comes to e-commerce and they're they're able to you know flip to that strategy. I think would be a strong move for for GameStop. All right, let's switch gears here. We got another earnings alert for you. NXP Semi on the move after its report. Josh Lipton's got all the details. Hey, Josh. So remember, heading into this report, Melissa, NXP was up about 30% so far this year. It was only around 5% of its all-time high, and now heading higher here in the after hours. In terms of their guidance for Q2 at the midpoint, they're looking for $2.57 billion. Uh, the street's at $2.56 billion, so basically in line there. For Segments Automotive, remember, that's their big one, $1.23 billion. Their other big one is Industrial. That comes in at $571 million for the quarter. I did check in quickly with Bernstein, Stacey Rasgon. Uh, he covers his name. He thought this print was solid. 
Uh, gross margins, he said, strong for Q1 and that Q2 guidance. And Q2 revenue guidance, he said, would have been even stronger if not for the impact of those Texas storms earlier in the year that caused disruptions for the company. He has a buy on this name. His bet there is this auto recovery has legs. And he says NXP is a smart way to play that. Remember, the conference call this one happens tomorrow. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton. Um, Dan, you know, Karen had mentioned that maybe Tesla is going to be the, the example of the stock that has done very well, reports a pretty good quarter. We'll see what the stock reaction is. Maybe NXP is a better measure. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the supply uh, demand dynamics is the really weird wild card here. Um, you know, this thing has been, you know, bottom left, up or right here. It's held that uptrend. Um, I think it's also important to remember this is a stock trading at a market multiple, like 21 times. So um, it's pretty reasonably priced here. We know that they were the eye um, uh, of uh, Qualcomm a, a few years ago. Um, China scuttled that deal. I would think at a $55 billion market cap, um, once we get pi- buy some of these supply constraints, you might see some M&A activity again in this space, and NXP could be on some people's shopping list. Guy, would this be on your shopping list? Do you, again, going back to your unbelievable memory, remember the stock draft a couple of years ago when yes. I looked at you and, and remember we said NXPI <laughs> yes. should come off the board early? Do you remember that, right? Oh, I thought you were going to mention Xilinx. remember. <laughs> and Xilinx, okay. <laughs> Xilinx as well. Anyway, my, it's, it's not an expensive stock here. And if you look at it, they're in the right spot. Half their revenue is automotive. Operating margins came in at 30.9%, which year over year is a huge jump for them. And I think the stock can continue higher here. So... Good for NXPI, and it should augur well for some of these other chip names, too. Yeah. Karen, what would you be listening to uh, on this call in relationship to other chip names out there? Uh, I, I mean, I want to hear the supply, the shortage, obviously. Mm-hmm. One, just one headline I wanted. Tesla said they navigated chip shortage with new suppliers in Q1. I really wonder who that is. I don't know if we'll, we'll hear that or not. Um, but, uh, I mean, th- that's going to be critical to the rest of the auto space as well this chip shortage, which is going on longer than I thought. New suppliers. That's so intriguing. Somehow they managed to find new suppliers and everybody else couldn't find new suppliers. Where did they find, where did they hide these guys? All right. um, We'll get some more details later on. That conference call, by the way, again, Tesla's conference call, seven minutes it starts. Up next, Morgan Stanley's chief equity strategist, Mike Wilson, says the clock is ticking on a correction, his timeline and how much downside he sees for the market. Plus, you're gearing up for Tesla's earnings call. Kicks off in minutes, as I mentioned. We'll bring you all the market moving commentary. We've got all that and much more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. A record day on Wall Street. The S&P 500 and Nasdaq notching record closes as earnings season reaches a fever pitch and the Fed gets ready to meet. But Morgan Stanley sees trouble ahead. Chief U.S. strategist Mike Wilson is predicting the S&P will tumble 10 to 20 percent in the next three months. Mike joins us now. Mike, great to have you with us. Great. Thank you for having me. You've been um, cautious for a while and you you say that you've been getting it wrong. What makes you think that this time around the correction is actually going to happen? 
Yeah, well, like, I mean, I think there is a correction going on under the surface, right? So the S&P 500 has not really corrected at all. In fact, it's making new highs every day. But we have had a correction in first the expensive stocks, you know, when the rates went up, and then we had one in small caps. So it's kind of under the surface, we're seeing a rotation towards quality. And that's really been our call since early March. And, you know, the S&P 500 is the quality index of choice. So that kind of makes sense. Now, it's gone further than I would have guessed. Um, but, you know, we're, we're right on that line. I mean, where you, it, it probably starts to spill over now into the quality stock. So, like, what are we worried about? I mean, really, first one is seasonal. You know, seasonalities are, you know, difficult as you go into May. Everybody knows that. The second thing I would say is that we've, had, we've got peak rate of change on virtually everything that we follow. And, and we think we are kind of moving into what we call this mid-cycle transition. That's faster than normal, Melissa. Normally, it takes about two years for that to happen. But this recovery is happening so quickly that's happening now. So I'll give you the years when we had a mid-cycle transition. It's 04, 94, 04, and 2011. And all three of those years saw about a 10 to 20% correction. So that, that's no guarantee that that's what's going to happen, but that's what we expect. Multiples should come down. And by the way, that's, that's what should happen at this stage of any bull market in a recovery from a recession. 10 to 20% within the next few months. Um, is there a place to, to hide, so to speak, if it's going to also hit the high-quality names? Yeah, so I think, I mean, the high-quality names should go down less, right? So in, in other words, it doesn't have to be 10 to 20% for everything. And by the way, we've already had a bit of a rolling correction in certain things. So it's interesting, you know, we're, we're trying to differentiate. I mean, we're, the biggest risk we see is kind of in the reopening itself, right? So the reopening stocks, you know, tremendous opportunities reopen the economy, but there's cost issues now. You know, everybody's finally figuring out that reopening an economy is more difficult than shutting it down. And a lot of the reopening stocks, quite frankly, have cost issues, supply chain issues, labor availability and things like that. So we want to separate sort of the reflation trades, you know, things like materials and financials and, and maybe some of the commodity areas. They probably hold up a little bit better, ironically, because the longer term story is quite good there. The other thing I would say is that, you know, defensive stocks will obviously hold up better. So healthcare is an area that we prefer within the defensive cohort. Hey, Mike, uh, it's Dan. Hey, so Jim Cramer had a really interesting tweet this morning saying that many of the forecasters he watches thinks that we're at a peak economy. And therefore, if that's the case, then Jay Powell would be right to keep rates lower and keep his foot on the pedal. What do you make of that? And how do you think the Fed plays into this call uh, that you have? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really anticipating anything from the Fed that's different than what they've been saying. I, I, I suspect they're going to they're going to be very dovish at this meeting. Um, they're going to continue to put their foot on the pedal, as you say. I think that's their job right now is to make sure that we get to the other side of the, you know, the, the virus and people are vaccinated. And we can actually reopen. They're they're, they're going to wait to see the whites of the eyes of that recovery. So I don't I don't think the Fed is really part of this particular correction if we're going to get one. However. The peak rate of change is going to play into the market's anticipation that the Fed's next move will be a tightening. I think it's hard to argue they're going to do more. So whether that's in June or in Jackson Hole, they start talking about tapering or what their plan is to kind of exit this extraordinary monetary policy. That is probably sometime in the next six months. And the market being a discounting machine will start to think about it. But I don't anticipate the Fed doing anything proactive in that regard. Hey, Mike, it's Karen. So I read your notes uh, and you talk about equity risk premium contraction sort of being at probably the bottom. Even if the Fed keeps their position, is it possible that we just see the market move rates enough that 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 causes the contraction you're talking about? I mean, that causes the correction you're talking about. 
Yeah, that's right, Karen. I mean, you can get a multiple contraction, you know, a couple of different ways. Equity risk premium, you know, blows out or rates go up. We got that in the first quarter, as you know. I mean, that was really our call back in January that the expensive, you know, long duration stocks would get hit as rates went up. So that adjustment has happened. And then, you know, what's interesting to me is that, you know, those stocks really have not rebounded. A lot of those stocks are still down 20 or 30 percent because they were just too expensive for where rates are now. I do think the next adjustment will come through the equity risk premium channel as opposed to the rate side, because look, equity risk premium at 280, 285 is too low, given this reopening risk that we see the Fed's next move being somewhat of a tightening. And something we haven't even talked about yet is taxes and some of these maybe you know less friendly uh, things that are going to happen next year. All right, Mike, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. Karen, just to follow up on the question you asked, Mike, how are you starting to think about valuations? Nervous, pretty nervous. I mean, I want to own protection here with the VIX, uh, you know, lower. You know, I don't like to sell what I own, but I, I do need more protection. I feel like uh, I feel like inflation's here. Rates are going higher. You know, when I hear Mike talking about um, the Fed not doing anything and remaining dovish, um, Karen talking about uh, rates can go higher anyway, no matter what the Fed does. I also think about the Fed being dovish guy, which could actually mean inflation gets hotter and that's bad for the markets, particularly when the markets are starting to factor in a tapering of the Fed's bond purchasing program before the end of the year, or at least telegraphing of that. How do you put all this together? Well, I've been trying to put that together for quite some time. And every time I sort of connect those dots, it leads me to believe we're going to have the scenario that Mike Wilson just talked about. And it's been the incorrect one. But I'll say this in terms of what Mike Mike pointed out. It's very similar to what Savita from Bank of America pointed out a week and a half or two weeks ago. I'm not saying, you know, I'm just saying the thought process is very similar. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, Tony Dwyer, who came out, I think, mm-hmm. last week, said similar things as well. So you have some very well-heeled analysts uh, making similar comments as to what they're seeing out there. Again, none of them said they can time this thing. Clearly, I haven't been able to. But the warning signs are absolutely there. Uh, we've got Tony Dwyer joining us tomorrow, actually. So we'll check in uh, with him on his call. Speak of the devil. Um, Delano, how are you feeling? Because now that more strategists are moving to the cautious side of things, do you feel like maybe you're more emboldened to remain long? <laughs> um, yeah, Melissa, you know, I haven't really taken risk off, um, but I've been diversified. And, and it was mentioned there's a couple areas and pockets where investors can look to to be defensive. And I think healthcare is one of the areas where investors can make sure that they're they're, they're defensive. And also, you know, the cyclical reflation trade is obviously an option as well. Um, but, you know, being diversified in the situation is, is probably the best bet. Obviously, you know, you know, I love being long some of the growth of mega cap stocks, but diversification for myself and for investors is going to be the best play in the case of anything, you know, with the market happens. All right. Coming up, Tesla's conference call. It is now three minutes in. We are dialed in. We'll tell you what the company is saying about the quarter. That stock is down 1.7 percent right now. Plus, copper in a melt up as it jumps to its highest level in nearly 10 years. We're breaking down the hot trades around this monster move. Stay with us. Fast Money be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the metals and mining ETF, ticker XME, rallying 2.5% today. It is our move of the day. The gain comes as copper soars to its highest level in nearly a decade. Freeport, McMoran, Alcoa, and Cleveland Cliffs all charging higher. Cleveland Cliffs, this is interesting. Saw some interesting action. The stock got hit with a downgrade at KeyBank, but it's still rallying. <laughs> Guy, what do you make of this action? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So sector perform, they downgraded it too in terms of Cleveland Cliffs, which I, which I get. I mean, I, I understand why there would be sector perform in terms of that company specifically because they're probably better names. And oh, by the way, better names have been Freeport McMahon. And I know for a fact, and if Tim were he'd say it as well, you know, this is a stock now we've talked about for at least the last year and a half as going to be a big winner in this whole reflation resource trade, and that's coming to fruition. I mean, this stock has not seen these levels, I think, since the fall of 2012. I'm sure somebody will correct me, but I think that's accurate. And despite the move higher, I still think it has room. Just overlay a copper chart, and you'll see. And by the way, it's not just copper. It's every other base metal. It's soft mm -hmm. commodities. So something's going on. Um, whether that's inflationary or not, clearly, I don't know. But it's clearly positive for the names we just mentioned. If you like the thesis behind industrials, Karen, which I know you do generally, do you have to like the resource trade? Yes. Uh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, just looking at the copper um, curve, and the curve actually shows copper prices lower, you know, a year from now, let's say. So does that, must that necessarily correlate with industrials? Uh, that, is a, that is a great question. For now, I'm keeping my industrials, URI, FedEx, UPS. Mm -hmm. But that, that curve does, it, it is, is one, I guess, part of the Fed's argument that these inflation um, factors are transitory. Right, right, right. Um, it, for the reopening, reflation, housing, whatever, you know, whatever boom sort of theme you want to play, Delano, is copper or some of these mining stocks the way you would do it? Yeah, I think for some, some people that'd be the way they do it. I myself have kind of stayed, you know, away from that um, in, in general. But I think... You know, generally speaking, you know, any of these reflation, reopening, you know, home building plays are going to bode well. Have, have have been really high performing areas for a while here. But um, for, for myself, I've stayed away from the copper. Dan, Nathan, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, this is it's really funny. You know, we have Mike uh, Wilson on. We're talking about mm -hmm. peak this, peak that. There's nothing normal that's gone on, obviously, in the last, you know, 20, you know, I, I don't know, whatever, 16 months or something like that. And, and, and really, from here on out, it's just like how much worse are gonna things going to be off of this 2021 peak? So, like, to me, yeah, I go and look at FCX and I look at that chart and I say to myself, okay, every time it's a hat size of the last 20 years, it goes from 5, 6, 7, and it goes to 40, 50, 60 or whatever. So you'd be, you know, crazy to short it at $40 here. But I guess, you know, the other point of this is like how much more stimulus are we going to get globally? We know here in the States we've had, what, $10 trillion between fiscal and monetary. I mean, at some point this all runs out a little bit. So the idea of playing FCX for a breakout here at 40 playing for 50 or 60 based on what might happen in the back half of this year mm -hmm. seems to be like there's a lot of good news incorporated in this sort of stuff. So I don't know. You want to keep chasing it. You're making a bet that global um, stimulus is going to continue at the pace it has at least over the last six months. Oh, I was waiting for a have at it or have a ball from you, Dan Nathan. But I, I think I think that this is a good point, Guy. And I think this is the question that gnaws at every investor at this point in time, whether it be copper or steel or how is it, whatever, whatever stock. Have we seen the best setup for these stocks that we will see in a while, given the Fed backdrop, That's given the reopening, the pent up demand, you name it. It's never going to be replicated. And it's happening right now. Yeah, that's a 
clearly cogent argument. And, you know, Karen mentions the curb. I mean, there's some people look at backward-aided commodity like that and say it's extraordinarily bullish, right? So there are two sides to all of this. I think, listen, everybody makes a great point in this. And, you know, I understand why Dan is being exorcised, Dan, now in terms of, you know, why would you be looking at the stock given the run that it's had? But I will tell you, these commodity potentially super cycles last a lot longer than people think they do. That's just historically what happens. And I think we're in the middle of one now. So can it continue to grind higher? I think the answer is yes. Do they make very compelling arguments that we're at the, the late innings of this game? Yes, as well. I happen to think the, the early innings is right. They think the late innings is right. That's what makes markets, and I'll do it for you, have at it either way, Mel. <laughs> All right. For more on the move in copper and where Wall Street sees it going, head on over to CNBC.com slash pro. And be sure to catch Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with the Cleveland Cliffs CEO at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Coming up, into the Amazon shares zipping higher today. What is behind this big move? We'll dive into the options pits for more on that. But first, Tesla's earnings call is underway. Fast money friend Gene Munster is dialed in. Manning the red phone. He'll bring us all the stock moving headlines next. Stay with us. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla still lower after hours despite a beat on the top and the bottom. Uh, the company calls underway. Let's get back to Phil LeBeau with the latest. Phil? Hey, Melissa, I'm not sure if we'll hear from uh, Elon Musk. We are uh, cutting the bite of him at the very beginning of the call, uh, essentially reiterating much of what they put in the earnings release. But I think the most interesting thing is what they said about the shift in customer demand uh, and in particular their expectations for the Model Y being this best selling vehicle in the world, perhaps by next year. We'll talk about what that means in just a little bit. But guys, do we have the bite from Elon Musk talking about the shift in customer demand in Q1? Drumroll. We do not have it. So uh, let me summarize what Elon Musk had to say. He basically said that uh, they've seen a real shift in customer demand in the first quarter, which is noteworthy because typically they start to see a slowdown in demand in the first quarter, then an acceleration through the rest of the year. That was not the case. And that's not a surprise given the fact that we've seen a real shift in overall consumer interest, not just here in the United States, but around the world in electric vehicles. And Tesla being the worldwide leader in sales of electric vehicles should certainly benefit from that shift, Melissa. And in terms of whether or not the Model Y can become the best-selling vehicle, some perspective here. The Ford F-Series is the best-selling vehicle in the United States, and it sells, roughly speaking, 750, 850,000 vehicles a year. That's just here in the United States for the F-Series. So he said it would become either the best-selling vehicle, car, or vehicle next year. So you would have to see a dramatic increase, uh, not only in Model Y sales, but overall sales for Tesla for that to happen next year. Again, the call just started. We're going to hop back on it. Mm-hmm. One other thing, he is talking about the importance of uh, the work they're doing on autopilot and on full self-drive and the fact that, uh, you know, he said this before, Melissa, it's the hardest problem to solve. It depends on artificial intelligence, but they believe that they're making progress. So at least he is addressing this topic, which has gotten a fair amount of attention here over the last couple of weeks. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau, let's bring Gene Munster back in. Gene, um, anything that struck you and, and have you heard anything about this new chip supplier, which enabled Tesla to avoid entirely or it seems entirely uh, this global automotive chip shortage? Don't know who it is, Melissa. I do know that Elon said that production and deliveries would have been even higher in the March quarter, if not for that. So that 109% growth I talked about, 
probably would have been 120, 120% plus if not for that shortage. So we don't know who it is, uh, but that really jumped out. Phil's comments jumped out at me about the Model Y and that production piece also was notable early into the earnings call here. I mean, if you extrapolate that, what would what would the growth be in terms of production? <laughs> that would be astronomical. Yeah, it's uh, we can't run the equation in reverse because we don't know what the actual uh, units missed were. But uh, if you'd add an extra few thousand vehicles potentially, that, as I mentioned, kind of gets you to that 120% plus growth in March. Uh, that would have been about double the percentage growth over the December quarter. So it just kind of plays back to that theme about this is definitional to a growth story. Importantly, mm-hmm. Elon did add that those uh, shortages uh, have and also some COVID restrictions in the Shanghai factory in the March quarter in terms of some workers uh, that has eased and they expect they don't see some of those headwinds as uh, significant in the June quarter, which kind of plays into this theme that June should be a good quarter for Tesla. I'm sorry, Gene, did you say shortages meaning the chip shortage specifically? Chip shortages specifically, exactly. Okay. It sounds like uh, that they're, they're working through that. They've worked, they've largely worked through that. All right, uh, Gene, thank you. Gene Munster thank of Loop you. Ventures. So they are able to work through it. You got to think that some of the other OEMs are thinking, how do, how, what are they doing? <laughs> I want their playbook, Karen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if they got the other ones got too conservative at the very beginning of the pandemic and didn't order and Tesla still thought we're going all out. And so they maintained that chip relationship and got, I guess, a better place in line. I don't know exactly, but good for them. I thought, though, Phil's point about the math to get to the why being the best selling car in the world was interesting. That's aggressive. Yeah. Very aggressive, which Elon Musk is known to be. Tesla shares are, are yeah. holding steady down 2%, Delano, maybe even pairing those losses at this point. What do you still want to hear from the conference call? Yeah, I guess, you know, the big thing that stuck out to me was how the Model Y, you know, looking forward next year being the best selling, you know, car. That, that's I would love to see the plan, like understand more of the plan for that. I think that's obviously an impressive and aggressive statement. But, um, you know, I'm not one to, you know, doubt management's ability to kind of meet their expectations that they've shown in the past that they've been able to do so. So I think you know, that, that stuck out to me greatly, and I'd love to see the path towards that. All right. Guy, just quickly, I know you like to play prognosticator, so, you know, put that hat on. Oh, well, do you lo- think this stock gets bought into, on weakness tomorrow? Should there be no tape, big tape bombs or anything like that? I'll, I'll play the game. I think this stock is higher when we walk in tomorrow. So tomorrow night's show, I think we're talking about a $750 stock. And when I'm wrong, which very good chance that happens, you can fast fire me. But playing the game, I think it's 750 airtime tomorrow night. We'll see. All right, coming up, the big rumor that sent Amazon shares rallying today. We'll dive into the options pits to find out what is really going on with this stock. Fast Money's back in two. Earnings alert here. Let's get back to Gene Munster, who has been on the Tesla call. Gene, what's new here? Melissa, I was wrong. They surprised me. They gave guidance that they expect deliveries for this year to exceed that 50% target. As a reminder, that 50% target is what they expect compound growth over the next several years. Uh, But as we talked about earlier, the street's looking for 70%. So they're kind of giving a nod to that 70%. My expectation is that given the easy comps here in June, 
I think that that number is ultimately going to be greater than uh, 70%. The street's at 850,000 units. We could be pushing close to a million by the end of the day. But they did uh, surprise me with that optimistic comment about demand for, for the June quarter. All right. Gene, thanks for the update. Gene Munster shares are still down about 2%. Switching gears here, Amazon shares jumping more than 2% today on rumors of a potential stock split. CNBC has not confirmed this rumor, and Amazon has not responded to our request for a comment. Let's bring in Mike Coe, though, who's been tracking Amazon's move in the options market. Mike, what are you seeing? Yeah, so we're seeing some bullish activity. Uh, Amazon did trade above average call volume today, calls outpacing puts. By about three to one, and the most active options were the weekly 3,500 strike calls. Almost 16,000 of those were trading for nearly $40 a contract. So buyers of those calls are obviously expecting Amazon could be higher by the end of this week on the heels of that rumor. But one other quick point, too, is that we saw implied volatility jump pretty markedly. That's not something you usually see when a stock is trading up, as Amazon has been. So combination of a higher stock and maybe some higher volatility as well seems to be what the options market is betting on right now. All right. Now, I know you guys on the panel are going to say splits mean nothing, blah, blah, blah. But when Tesla split, when Apple split, it meant something, Dan. Well, let me tell you who it does mean something for broker dealers, man, and especially in the options market. If this thing were to split five for one, you're going to have a lot more volume on a daily basis. And that could lead to a whole other like set of speculative sort of things. So, yeah, you know, this thing has not made a new high since early September here. I suspect a split and a beaten raise in the stocks uh, above this nine month range that it's been in. All right. Our thanks to Mike Coe for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trade. Let's go around the horn. Delano. Well, so splits mean nothing, but sometimes FOMO momentum does. I'm going with Amazon. Dan. Uh, yeah, Ford here. Moving higher. Karen. Yeah, so as you know, I'm long, always long. But I am a little concerned about this market getting toppy. Even good earnings don't move stocks. So buy S&P puts. Guy. I mean, I was so uninspired by Dan. Yeah, Ford here moving higher. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Ford, Mel, love it. Love the valuation. That's how I would have handled it. But I'll give you serious logic into earnings. That's a name we don't talk about. And I could see the fast fire on that at the end of the week, but I'll put it out there. We'll see CRUS. About, we'll see about 750 on Tesla tomorrow. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.